2: Welcome to Episode 2 of EM Weekly, and now your host, Todd DeVoe. Hi,
1: and welcome to EM Weekly. This is your host, Todd DeVoe. In this
2: episode, we interviewed Kevin
1: Bigelow, who is a former emergency manager for social services in Orange County, California. We're going to be discussing persons with mobility and functional needs issues in this episode Kevin comes to us with lots of experience. He's a great guy. Uh, I actually met Kevin a few years ago and we worked on some projects together uh, through Orange County, uh, specifically with the functional need issues um, and emergency planning. The things we talk about in this issue are going to be things that you really should think about as you're doing your planning um, and just in your daily response if you're a first responder. So, Kevin and I both. Uh, had a cold as we were doing this interview, so there are some coughs and stuff like that in this interview. I have some, uh, I've taken most of them out through the editing process, there might be some weird edits in here for you guys, so uh, please bear with it. So again, thank you very much for being here, and uh, here's Kevin Bigelow. So real quick, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and um, your organization and how you got involved and kind of what you guys do?
0: Sure, sure thing. My name is Kevin Bigelow, and not surprisingly, my uh, very small company, which consists of me, (laughs) is Kevin Bigelow Training and Consulting. A little bit about me, I am a uh, licensed California psychiatric technician, which most people haven't heard of. It's uh, the same licensing board as licensed vocational nurses. Uh, And some of my experience, uh, I worked in mental health for a number of years. I was on the Orange County Mental Health Emergency Team. I was one of those people that went out and did the 5150 evaluations. And a little later, I worked for social services. I was a child abuse investigative social worker and then uh, transferred on over to adult protective services where we uh looked into abuse neglect uh, of uh seniors and people with disabilities uh I later became a supervisor there uh I after that sometime later I was the adult services training coordinator so I coordinated training for uh, um, adult protective services and in-home supportive services and some organizations like that through the county um, then the last thing I did was uh worked as the Emergency Services Coordinator for Social Services Agency in Orange County. And that's where I did a lot of work with the Emergency Operations Center there and Emergency Management. I retired in 2011 and began uh, doing some training and consulting work. Uh, And mostly that's divided between doing training for adult protective services workers and writing training and e-learnings for them like I used to do. And the other part of it is consulting related to uh, emergency management, uh, most specifically to inclusive emergency planning, which is uh, emergency planning for uh, everybody, including persons with disabilities and access and functional needs. Uh, So that's a – and currently I work as a consultant with a group called EAD and Associates that does um, uh, inclusive emergency planning and a really great group of people out of New York, uh, and I'm also a consultant with the National Adult Protective Services Association. So that's a little about me.
1: <laughs> awesome. So, uh, kind of a quick question here, and and um, <clears throat> so, what does emergency management look like in the social services space? And then particularly in the elderly space, with I guess with the the functional needs people, um, and also like say. You know people that are suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's and um, stuff like that what, what does EM look like there
0: Okay. Um, well, I I think it's important for people to understand that our society is changing. Uh, it's been changing for a long time, but people are living a lot longer, and they're experiencing a lot more uh, different kinds of health issues than they used to. I mean, people didn't used to live all that long. Um, the silver tsunami has has hit us, which means you know all the baby boomers have come of age and are hitting you know sixty and sixty five, and so they have. Their own set of health issues, not to mention the fact that we have uh, a large disabilities population of people with all kinds of different, uh, um, you know challenges and whatnot and those folks we're seeing a lot more of too because there's better biometrics for them they can get out in the community they can communicate better etc and so the current term and i know that you know this already todd but is uh disabilities uh, persons with disabilities and access and functional needs so we're talking about emergency management planning that's inclusive planning Um, that's an important group I think that we need to plan for, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a really big group. Uh, A lot of times, people tend to think, "Well, that's really small." There's not very many people like that, but in fact, it really is up to about forty percent of the population because it includes so many different kinds of things. Right? You've got people who use wheelchairs to move around. You've got people who have to use walkers. You've got people with things like cerebral palsy. You mentioned uh, uh, Alzheimer's disease and dementia and whatnot. So it's a whole bunch of different things and um, we know from <clears throat> excuse me from experience that seniors and persons with di- uh, disabilities are more seriously impacted in emergency situations whether that involves evacuations or just shelter in place um, medication specialized equipment durable medical equipment are very often not a luxury for these people they're things that they really need to survive and be able to function and, and whatnot um, so uh, emergency response with with regard to things like emergency management, we can't really do a one-size-fits-all response anymore, especially with the change in the population. Uh, in addition, there's a lot of serious illnesses that have spiraled in, uh, to becoming an epidemic or even to pandemic proportions in the last 20 years or so. And some examples that I think you mentioned is Alzheimer's disease, other forms of dementia, um, I tend to focus on that one a lot because I, I've done a lot of work with uh, Alzheimer's disease. I'm, I'm a volunteer with Alzheimer's Association and Alzheimer's Orange County. Um, so, just to, let's take that one as an example. Okay, Alzheimer's disease. Um, it's just one of forty different types of dementia, but Alzheimer's disease. Disease diagnoses make up about forty percent of everybody with dementia. Hmm. Um, so uh, many people think, okay, that's a really small population. So what are we worried about it for? But to take Orange County as an example, and this is a two-year-old statistic, so I'm sure it's low. As of about two years ago, there were about eighty-four thousand people in Orange County alone who were diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. So that's wow. a big group. You know, if you're if you're thinking about planning for an emergency, whatever your community is you're probably going to encounter people with Alzheimer's disease or dementia. Hey, Kevin, uh,
1: Kevin, one, so, one second. Ahead, yeah. so, so what was that number for the – was 84,000 people were diagnosed with Alzheimer's in, in, or yes. dementia? Yes, okay.
0: with, with Alzheimer's, and that was, that's a, like about a year or two old number, so it's pro- probably much higher now.
1: That, that's amazing thinking about the fact that the population of Orange County is only like 3.4 million people.
0: Yeah that's yeah. a
1: significant number of people so i mean i and and this is for full disclosure everybody my my dad is suffering um from dementia um he has not as far as I know, hasn't been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but he's, yeah. he's, um, yeah, he's definitely, you know, in, in that area. He's uh, 84 years old, and he's um, at an assisted living center with my stepmother, and she's in her 80s, and and she has some health problems as well. But just kind of, kind of throw that out there. But if you think about that, that's a huge number of people. And I know that my dad has sometimes have some issues when we pull him out of places that he's familiar with. Right. He gets really nervous and uncomfortable. So what what kind of impact does that if we have to do like a massive evacuation say of an area with people that's 80, you know, some 1000 people that are going to really kind of have some behavioral issues possibly correct?
0: Right, correct. It could be because that's I mean it manifests differently with different people and people could be at different stages of that and it sounds like you've you've seen that and I uh, I hope your dad doesn't have Alzheimer's disease but um and it, it's difficult to tell kind of which dementia somebody has uh, but those are going to be folks who um will not react like normal people react. And we've had situations where uh people with Alzheimer's disease when say there's a fire in their building or their house rather than evacuating, they become frightened. Their brains don't work like the rest of our brains, so they might hide, like mm-hmm. hide in a closet rather than evacuate. Um we had other situations that I you know I heard about some specific situations back in Hurricane Katrina uh, where you could say to a person who has dementia, and not everybody is the same. Uh, it depends on how far along the disease is, uh, like if it's Alzheimer's. Uh, you could say, okay, wait right here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You could turn around. You could look right back and the person's walking away. You could walk up to that person and say, hey, what are you doing? I told you to wait there. And they might say, who are you? I don't, I don't know who you are. Their short term memory isn't working like everybody else. Right. So it presents some special problems for that. Um, for emergency responders and certainly for the people and their families and, and whatnot. And I think one of the important things about that, and, and we could generalize this to you know, persons with disabilities and, and uh, frail elderly people too, is uh, not that fire departments have you know, whole special Alzheimer's units or anything like that, but that people need to get a certain amount of uh, education, a certain amount of information about those different groups so that when they encounter them, they can understand, okay, you know, I've told this guy over here a couple, three times to evacuate. We've been knocking on doors, but he's not, he's not evacuating. So he's going to need some more special attention about this. Who can we get involved? You know, is there somebody else here who's helping us um, or do we need to call somebody else in? Uh, If we have uh, other groups assisting us with this, maybe we need to notify somebody that this guy is going to need some special attention to try to get him out. Um, uh, It it helps, I think, for people to know a little bit about how that happens because, and this is true a lot of times with families when people are are initially diagnosed with things like Alzheimer's dementia, they think, well, the person's just being stubborn. They just don't want to do this. They just don't like it. And if you're encountering somebody with dementia, that may very well not be the case. They really are not tracking what you have to say. So, um, right. knowing that you have to, and Alzheimer's Orange County has put out a whole uh, list of recommendations for first responders um, to to deal with people. That you need to kind of look the person directly in the eye. You need to ask them one thing at a time. You may have to give them a few seconds to respond because it takes them longer to process, and then it's more likely that that person will be more cooperative uh, with you. And then. <laughs> you know as you as that person goes off to the shelter um, probably if possible the shelter needs to know that this person is coming there otherwise they're liable to wander away you know they get off of the bus or whatever it is they don't remember what's happening right. um, so uh, I think with those folks and with people with disabilities in general um, if we had a little bit more information, and the ideal way to get that information is from those people or people who work kind of directly with them, um, and I can say I, I understand. Um, all uh, you know, I was a county employee for many years, and I was a state employee at one point, and things. So I get it. There's not a lot of, of extra money. There's not a lot of extra time. Um, But I think if you had even small amounts of time where you had people come in who, say, worked with folks uh, who had Alzheimer's, who worked with folks who had mobility issues, folks who were deaf, folks who were blind, just to tell a little bit about that. And when you have a situation where you can have someone who is using a wheelchair all the time or who is dependent upon that oxygen all the time, talk a little bit about what it's like for them I think it will make it easier, would make it easier for emergency responders to know what to do, because these are the people that cope with this every single day, um, and I think it will make it easier for the responders and certainly easier for the person uh, that they're having to deal with. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of, and you hear this from a lot of the, the advocacy groups about this, no planning about us without us. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, for, as an example, I, I'm a co-facilitator of a group, uh support group for men who are caregivers of people with Alzheimer's or dementia. And I knew some things about Alzheimer's and dementia. I'd learned some things in school about Alzheimer's dementia. But talking to these guys about what they go through, trying to take care of these folks and the challenges and the way that they cope with it, is real different and it's been a real learning experience for me and I think that's true for people with all kinds of disabilities or even you know some uh, just frail elderly populations what works best when you have trouble getting up the steps to get into your house how you know you are trying to get that person out of the bus or get them evacuated what would work best and who knows better than that person who can say here's what works best for me you know um so I think that's a that's an important thing unfortunately um Some of the situations, and, of course, these are some of the situations if you're an emergency management consultant, this is the things you get involved in, tends to be when there's a court case, right? Right, right. Um, People have, you know, complained about it and whatnot for years, and finally they decide they're going to file a suit or maybe a class action suit or whatnot. And whatever you think about that, uh, sometimes it's kind of the only course of action that's left to people. However, the problem with that, I think, is that sometimes it makes for sort of an adversarial situation you know mm-hmm. you guys are in the wrong you're not doing enough no no you don't know what you're talking about and and uh, that's unfortunate I think because sometimes that helps to build that wall between the two groups
1: right. um,
0: and uh, the thing that that I think really needs to happen is to kind of try to tear down that wall for both sides to be able to learn things from the other side and that takes a little bit of doing you know that takes a little bit yeah, go ahead
1: we are teaching a CERT program one time, the Community Emergency Response Team uh, program, and I had a, a young lady, well, she was in a wheelchair, and there was a portion where the mantra that we say, do the greatest good for the greatest number, and she raised her hand and she goes, am I part of the greatest number? And it took me aback for a second. I was like, wow, that's a pretty deep question right there. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, do we as first responders and emergency managers sometimes uh, only focus on those that are are able-bodied and able to move when what do we do with the people that are that are stuck, you know, for for. For 100 percent, I was going to say for lack of a better term, but it's, it's the real truth that are stuck in the convalescent homes or whatnot that cannot move. You know, um, I remember we had a fire up in, uh, in uh, uh, San Bernardino County and we were responding up there because we were evacuating a convalescent home um, with people on respiratory uh, issues, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we needed vent beds and everything, and we were trying to find places to put these people. So, yeah, these are some real considerations. And I know that we push back a little bit on on uh, facilities to say you need to have a plan and other receiving facilities that could take your patients. Um, and, I, I, and I don't want to say it's a cop-out uh, because, you know, we can't as – as county and city and state employees you know at times can't plan for everything but i think those are things that we need to keep in mind um and you know so i mean that's that's just kind of a little bit of a side note here on what we're talking about today
0: yeah i think uh, that's that's fits yeah go ahead go ahead
1: no 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 Uh, i was gonna say but i think that's you know things that we, we forget about you know and uh yeah, until we get pushed in the face, you know, with some of these issues. Um, and, you know, Kevin and you and I worked on some projects here in, in Orange County with with those mobility issues because of a lawsuit that happened to L.A. City, that those guys that um, are our um, uh, mobility challenge have to be come to the table and be part of this conversation.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. Um, and, you know, when you have people uh, – who are advocates and advocates are wonderful people and very important uh, for our system whether whether they're talking about advocating for people with disabilities or vegetarians or more government or less government or whatever it is but advocates Tend to take kind of an extreme point of view, you know. They they tend to be people who uh, are in your face kind of people. That's that's what a successful advocate does, uh, but it doesn't necessarily make a lot of friends. That's <laughs> that's one problem. Um, and you know, when you're pushing, if you're negotiating, right? If if you're selling something and I'm buying something, uh, you know, I'll say I'll offer you a dollar, and you say I want ten dollars. No, no, I want you know, how about two dollars? No, no, how about eight dollars? You know, it's part of the negotiation process. So, um, in one of the Court cases that I was involved with as a consultant—I won't talk about court cases so specifically—but as they began negotiations with disabilities groups, one of the things that they said they wanted was, "Well, we want uh, you to provide every uh, dis- uh, person with disabilities in your jurisdiction with a um, with a generator." And it was a completely unrealistic, you know, in terms of budget and, and whatnot. And they had to say, no, no, that's really not something we can do. I had to explain why that wasn't something that you could do. Um, but I think that's just part of the part of the process. And then once you get to know people a little bit better, then both sides kind of calm down. And then you can kind of get down to work about, okay, so how is it for you? Um, I'll give you an example. Um, back when I was the emergency services coordinator for social services, I was asked to talk to the in-home supportive services uh, public authority there. And this is years back, right? This is, it's a whole different public authority on different people. But um, uh, And what that is, in case you don't know what in-home supportive services is, is it's a, a, a government program that you can qualify for if you're aged or you're blind or you're disabled in some way. And they will pay not a lot of money, but they'll pay some money for someone to come in and assist you, right? And very often that's a family member or neighbor. Right? So, so these people were the people who kind of oversaw that program and, and they were all many of them were uh, persons with disabilities themselves right so i went in and was talking to them about um a lot of uh, the concern of of many people with disabilities that if you're evacuating somebody and you're not in an absolute life or death situation that moment, uh, leaving behind their, you know, electric wheelchair which is the only way they move around or leaving behind their oxygen or their meds or something and just kind of racing out. And so I was saying, you know, we're really trying to work to plan so that we can move some of those things that you really need with you and we can, you know, I was kind of doing the the whole bit and uh, one lady uh, with disabilities raised her hands and said, well, like, if the house is on fire, you're going to leave the chair and take me, right? <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm absolutely sure that emergency responders are going to do that. Um, so she got it. You know, it was, uh, you know, whilst uh, as a committee or someone negotiating, she might say, you know, we don't want anybody not evacuated with their chair if that's what they need to, to function. Um, they get they get it. Um, I remember another lady... Um, we had a i won't I won't go on and on with the stories cuz I could go on forever but the uh uh we did a, a panel for uh designed specifically for people who were seniors and, and people uh with disabilities, uh, and we had people talk from various groups from fire departments and what not. And one of the ladies that we had talk was from uh, the Dale McIntosh Center in Orange County, which is a terrific place that that really gives a lot of help and assistance to people with all different kinds of disabilities. And she was saying, and she had this very dry sense of humor, um, and she also uh, suffered from cerebral palsy, so you, there was a little pause in her speaking. So it was sometimes hard to tell when she was joking or she was not joking, and she was saying, yes, I've you know, i told my caregiver. She talked about all the things she had arranged with her caregiver about evacuation and whatnot, and she said, I've told my caregiver, if necessary, to throw me out the window. And everybody laughed, ha, 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 and she kind of laughed too, and she said, you think i'm kidding i'm not kidding. the house is on fire and i can't get out any other way throw me out the window (laughs) right so you know these folks one they have a sense of humor and two they functionally they they live with this every day so they have some great ideas and good thinking about it. i mean that not that i'm recommending throwing everybody out the window but you know she uh, uh... she got it and i think when you get down to connecting with people and and it's not always easy because even though uh... people and this isn't just people with disabilities or frail elderly people a lot of times people want things to change but they're not necessarily willing to spend a lot of time coming to meetings or things like like the rest of us right so you have to kind of coax people out a little bit and and let them know that you really do want to hear what they have to say but sometimes you have to be honest and say you know that's just not going to be realistic so what can we do that's in the middle we can't give all of you a generator okay so what could we do and what could you do to try to make things better um, the other thing about it, too, that I think is sort of off-putting to governments and to emergency responders sometimes is the feeling that, okay, so you just want us to do everything for you, right? Right, You want right, to right. come scoop you up and, you know, do every single thing for you, and that's not realistic either for anybody in any circumstance, whether you're disabled or not, but uh, the opportunity to, to kind of interface with those people um, also gives you an opportunity to, to tell them, the same thing that all of us need to hear which is you really need to be prepared yourself you know you really need to kind of figure out how are you going to get out of the house what's the best way to evacuate the house and you really need to have enough water there for you and and to try to keep your medication stocked up so that you have enough you know do you have a half a tank of gas you know all the typical stuff we tell people about um, and if you, you get to developing a little bit of a relationship with some of them then they'll hear that they may hear that um, and part of the emergency management job is to educate the public, not just always to save the public, but to educate them as well. So, right, right. Uh, and it's not easy building that relationship. I, you know, I know this from some of the the cases where it's a court uh, ordered sort of a thing that they have to have a meeting and whatnot. And it's sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get people to come from both sides. You know, from both sides. Sometimes the fire department's hesitant to be there because they feel like people are going to tell them what to do, or they're going to imply they're not doing a good job, and the disabilities folks are the same way i don't want to go sit around this room and listen to a bunch of government people but you got to try to kind of build that relationship and it's not always easy but it really pays off i think if you have it so
1: right do do you find um that people who do have special needs in in in, and whether they're um Disabilities, whether they're, you know, in that population specifically, not necessarily talk about mobility issues in general, but just, just anybody who has those um, special things. Um, like, for instance, even the kids with asthma, like, you know, mm-hmm. do you find them to be um, more prepared than the average, you know, Joe citizen? Because I know that well, we've taken surveys specifically in Orange County, and, and for those of you that are listening out there, um, Kevin and I both work in Orange County, so it's kind of a reference point. And I don't know what it is nationally, but I know specifically in Orange County when we did our survey, it was about like one and a half percent of the people said that they were prepared for 72 hours. And, and, and that was when we started really putting some, um, you know, putting a lot of, um, effort into doing preparedness, uh, within Orange County. I don't know if it's gone up much further than that since we've done that survey. Um, do you think the people that are, that do have, medical needs or, or other special needs um, uh, have are, are better prepared or is it about the same?
0: Well, I I think they're better prepared in some respects, uh, short term, because some people have to do that. I mean, if you uh, have some real mobility issues, you know, when you're going to, you're going shopping or you're having somebody shop for you, you've got to make sure you have all the stuff you need because you can't just. It's not easy to to race out to the car and run down to the store, even if you can drive yourself. It's an effort to get in and out of the car, and you got to get a handicap space and whatnot. So I think they uh, they have to deal with um, what might let's say not so much emergencies, but sort of personal crises on a daily basis, and they're used to planning about that. But Mm -hmm. they fall into the same um, situation that the rest of us do uh, of assuming, well, you know, the store will always be there or I can always call somebody if I need that. Um, and And so I think while they're used to having to do some planning for themselves, which some of us don't, I mean, you know, some of us, you know, you can run into the Del Taco if you want food. You can run into the store anytime you want it, and you know some and some folks kind of live that way. They don't do a lot of shopping. They just kind of I got my credit card. I don't need anything else. So I think some of the uh, folks with disabilities and some frail elderly folks are used to doing more planning, but they're not necessarily used to doing the kind of planning that you need to be prepared for at least seventy-two hours to be there on your own. You know, what's your backup plan, if this person can't come assist you that day, um, you know, who else would you call? Uh, like they're saying, you really need to have like about three people deep for most emergency planning, you know, like emergency management planning when you're, you know, the people at your EOC right. funding dependent, I guess, is you know, <laughs> <coughs> you need to have two or three different people who can fill that slot. Um, they're not used to that planning either, I think. And I think they need information about what is needed for that kind of planning, and a lot of them don't don't have it. I mean, even though it's it's out there, sometimes they don't necessarily have it. Excuse me, I had to drink of water there. Uh-huh. But uh, um, and and some of the things, uh, and a lot of jurisdictions have caught on to this now. Some of the reason, or part of the reason, that they don't have that, other than just like the rest of us, they don't like to think about emergencies and stuff happening, is um, some folks who have uh, difficulty, say, reading things on the Internet unless they're in a particular format. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be accessible for their screen readers. Say, people who have uh, visual problems are not going to be able to read some kind of stuff that's posted unless it's in the right format. Um, it might need to be a large print kind of a thing. Uh, if, you're, if you're a, a person with hearing issues, you might like to hear some more about uh, emergency preparedness, um, but if it's not a closed caption program or they don't have an interpreter or somebody there to get that to you, you may not be getting the information. So um, so it's a couple things. One of them is, I think, trying to make people aware of the need to prepare, which is for everybody. Second, trying to make them aware of the fact that, that we now know that we have a lot of people who are... Uh, And I keep saying frail elderly people because I know some elderly people older than me who could, like, kick my backside all the way around the (laughs) block. They're in much better shape than me. Uh, But frail elderly people who may need more assistance or persons with disabilities um, uh, that, in fact, people do want to – plan for you. People do have some idea about it and if you can listen to us and, and you know try to access this stuff from us, we want you to prepare too. Uh, as an example, um, the uh, uh, Earthquake Earthquake Country Alliance, I believe it's called, uh, yes. they've been putting out the drop uh, cover and hold on stuff for years and, and that's great stuff. Lots of good information about how to prepare for earthquakes and how to you know tie stuff down in your house so it's not falling on your head and, and that kind of stuff. Um they recently released a, a thing called uh, lock uh, lock cover. Is this what's it? Lock cover and hold on, which is basically for people in wheelchairs. Oh, yeah. If you're in a wheelchair and you, and your mobility is severely limited, it's not very easy to drop cover and hold on. So they're saying you know lock that wheelchair up tight, uh, cover, hold on. Uh, you know, try to put something over your head or your arms over your head in case there's going to be things falling from the ceiling. And I think if people with disabilities know that that now there is some planning going on that's including people with with input from people like themselves, then they want to listen more, and then hopefully they'll start to get more prepared too, like all of us need to be. Um, and I think we're kind of headed in that direction, but sometimes it's a slow, it's a slow. Process, uh, you know, as, as you know too, we're working for government organizations. It's not a put down of government organizations, but you know, funding is limited and and whatnot. And people are saying, "Hey, look, I already got so much to do. How how am I going to reach out to these new people?" But I think you have to reach out to those new people because you are going to encounter them all the time, uh, and you need to know what to do. So,
1: right, we um we're doing this active shooter training uh, at one of the universities, and um, one of the um Um, advocates, I guess, um, from the Dale McIntosh Center. Uh, She was there. um, She was blind, and she has her dog with her. And we're going through the program, and and at the end of it, she kind of comes over to me, and she says, I'm I'm pretty much toast, aren't I? And I go, well, why would you say that? She goes, because I really rely on somebody else to get me out, and if everybody's running away from a shooter, you know, are people going to help me? And I said, you know, I, I can't answer that to to be honest with you i said i would hope they would i really do i think most people have it within them that they would help you but i said i you know i'm glad that you're here taking this training i said but yeah that's a tough question will other people grab you and help you and she's just like well she goes i'm kind of resigned to the fact that this is where it is i said well you know i i would hope that people would help but i can't guarantee but you know and that's one of those things that that I look at, you know, with Katrina and those larger issues that, you know, do we have enough people? Because 95% of all rescues during a disaster, we know this, happen from neighbors, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, do we have these neighborhood uh, networks? And I think that's one of the things that I try to to uh, tell people that when I do, like, the Neighbor for Neighbor programs or uh, when you're doing, you know, Neighborhood Watch programs and things like this, when – You're going out speaking to these uh, people as like, yeah, know your neighbors and and make a friend and and understand the needs of of the people around you, you know, because it's really going to come down to that on on one aspect of it. And I know a lot of times our people with mobility issues um, are shut ins and stuff. So what do we do with those people that can't go out and make friends and are shut ins? What do you recommend for us as emergency managers to how do we reach out to them to to get them involved in the community?
0: right right well well for the shut ins of course that's a problem with with being able to reach them uh you know how are you going to be able to reach them uh and i i think you know when when information gets put out whether that's a press release or whether that's something that gets sent out to the community uh if you you try to uh make sure that people are aware that it's for the whole community uh and try to encourage them to be involved and sometimes that's going to work and sometimes it's not going to work um, but from from my point of view just sort of my opinion I think part of what needs to happen with that, since we know a lot of this is people just not emergency responders, but people helping other people, uh, is to include more stuff about people who are seniors or who are persons with disabilities in that kind of emergency training because, uh, and you know, maybe I'm just speaking for me, but I think it's true of other people. Uh, my mother, God rest her soul, who was a wonderful, kind person. Um, but she grew up in a little different world than we're in now and so when we'd be in a store when i was a kid and there was someone there with a disability whether they were using crutches or they were in a wheelchair if i was looking at them she would say to me don't stare you'll make them uncomfortable and she really mm-hmm. believed that right and i think a lot of people are uncomfortable who haven't been around people with Disabilities who haven't been around people who use a wheelchair or who have a, you know, have a white cane or whatever it is, we we tend to shy away from them partly because we're afraid of doing the wrong thing or right, right, right. someone, um, and partly because we're a little bit afraid of having that happen to us. If we start admitting that's happening, then we have to face the fact that some of us will <laughs> lose our sight, some of us right. will not be able to walk without assistance later on, um, and you know, when it's in an emergency situation like that. Uh, I think sometimes people who have no contact, let's say for the example of this lady who's visually impaired, they have no contact with anyone like that. In that emergency situation, they're not going to think about them. But if that, if they had somebody who had some uh, disability issues in their training or in the classes that they took where people talked about it, they might feel more comfortable to say, you know, hey, I'm getting out, I'm taking you by the elbow, let's go you know, we're going right now, you know, right, uh, right. Uh, or get down, over, look, there's a there's a big table over here, get down behind the table right now, we're, you know, we're getting out, we're going to let people know that you're in here or something like that, because um, uh, like you say, it's going to be people helping other people, and if you're not used to talking to anybody with a disability, you're not going to do it probably, right? Or you're going to be less uh, likely to go up and say, you know, how are you doing in there? You know, I know that you need to use a walker, and I know it's been flooding here a lot. Are you okay in your home? If you're uncomfortable talking to people, you're probably not going to ask. And sometimes that's when things go really wrong. And, you know, then the paramedics are there or somebody else, and people say, gee, I wish I'd have known that she wasn't okay. Well, how do you know that? You knock on the right, door. Right. And say, are you are right. You know, okay, are you able to get around. Okay. You need to get something from the store for me or something like that. So I think, uh, you know, that change is a constant all the time right. in our lives, and, and adapting to those changes is, is not necessarily easy. And we know that people who our frail elderly folks or people with disabilities are more disproportionately affected by emergencies and they that's have less true. of an ability to adapt sometimes some of them are more adaptable than me but um, but i i think we have to try to prepare for that and build some relationships together to accept that you know we're all living longer and that's a tremendous blessing But the fact is, for a lot of us, some of us are going to have visual problems. Some of us are going to have dementia problems. Uh, And ignoring that isn't going to make that go away. And learning a little bit about it may make us feel better about it, less afraid, and more likely to reach out to other people when we have those emergencies. So that's kind of my mantra about it. Let's learn a little bit more about each other, and we'll all be better off.
1: That's really cool. Uh, I had a funny story that just reminded me. so we're doing a CERT program at the Leisure World in Seal Beach, which Leisure World is a really large uh, retirement community. Yeah. It's a 55 years and older you know, uh, community. I'm telling that for most of the people that are maybe not part of California. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and it was great. And I had, you know, obviously it's a lot of elderly people in the class. And this one of the um, older ladies that were in the class, and she was 94, 95 years old, something like that. And one of the reasons we go around, we ask people, you know, why are you here? You know, what are you doing? What do you want to get out of the class? And she raises, you know, gets to her time and she raises her hand and she's just like, yeah. She's like, you know, says her name and she said how old she was. And she goes, I am here because I want to be able to help my old people. And I, I was, I had to crack up. I'm like, wow. I said, if if you're helping your old people, I said, how old are they? You know, and <laughs> you know, and, and what she, what she was really saying there is, is that you know, here she is. She's one of the ones that's a spry lady. She still drove at that time. You know, she only went to the little shopping center nearby, whatever. But she was still out there, mobile on her own. And she was talking about people that are in the community that just, uh, um, you know, just were. Maybe, you know, had other issues that were going on, but it's really kind of cool to see people that really want to help each other. And um, I think that's what, at the end of the day, uh, and whether it's being that it's it's for us able-bodied, you know, people living out in the community or people that are living in assisted living or in retirement communities, it's it's about building community. And I think when we talk about building community as emergency managers, we have to include everybody, you know, and I think that's the, that's a really that's important lesson. yeah.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm I'm going to be talking uh, in a couple of days here uh, to another gentleman um, out of L.A. and he deals a lot with uh, homeless issues um, and the all the issues are associated with their mobility problems and and when we talk about mobility issues in in cases we always think about those that are in wheelchairs or walkers but we're also talking about people that don't have the physical ability to to drive a vehicle or to get out of areas so we're going to kind of get into that as well right um, right. so yeah so it's a it's a really big topic and especially for emergency managers and um, you know those of us that have been doing this for a long time and you know if i I started out as a first responder, and I remember uh dealing with people that were you know bed bound and stuff and we would ask them how would be the best way to move them and and things like this we're trained how to do that and I think on a one on one basis it's easy, but when we start talking about mass mass movement, it becomes a really bigger issue Kevin
0: sure so, um
1: so one last question yeah um what do you see the future um of emergency management and um in the the adult protective services world how do you like if you were a guy or a gal that wants to get involved with with em and and has an interest in um in uh social needs and and specifically with the uh, um elder population how how would you get involved in that
0: well i think it i mean it de- uh, may depend a little bit on whether you're looking for a job kind of a thing and whether you're you're looking to volunteer or just be involved in it um certainly if you're looking for a job uh, nowadays, there's a lot more emergency management classes and things like that that you could take. Um, I think you, uh, especially if you have an interest in um – persons with disabilities or what we call disabilities, access functional needs people, um, getting some some other information that might relate to people uh, who have disabilities if you wanted to learn American Sign Language uh, or you wanted to learn a a little bit more from uh, like services from the blind or something that would give you kind of a leg up on that. Um, But now there's, I think, more programs available to people, not that And there's plenty of people in emergency management, as you know, Todd, that are just there based on their experience, and you need that experience definitely. Um, uh, So I I think if you can seek – some of the the regular paths towards emergency management great if you can also especially if you have an interest in disabilities access functional needs uh, include some other training uh, or classes uh, uh, or opportunities to find out a little more about persons with disabilities or people who are seniors I think you'll be ahead of the game and then it puts you into a little bit of a specialized niche for doing some kind of work like that because there, there aren't a lot of people who are feeling real familiar with that. Uh, if you want to volunteer and do that, I mean, I think CERT programs are great. And more and more CERT programs like you're talking about, Todd, are including people who are seniors who are a great reference. I mean, these people have a, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and they, they also know what to tell you about someone who's having difficulty walking or, you know, other seniors and stuff. So I think CERT programs are good. Um, I myself worked in adult protective services for uh, social services in Orange County and found that very rewarding because we did a lot of work with people who were seniors and persons with disabilities etc and in my opinion and I don't know that all social services programs agree with me but I think adult protective services will have a, a little more of a role in emergency management as time goes on because they're so familiar with those populations you know there's not a lot of other government uh, agencies that are that familiar of course they're already they're always busy so sometimes when I bring that up say, are you kidding me we've got too much to do already but that's the <laughs> mantra for everybody right so right um, so I think you know you you can, you can seek a career, um, and fortunately, you know, there's some more emergency man- – there's like an actual path you could take towards emergency management. But if you lean a little bit more towards getting some information and you start building those contacts with uh disabilities community, you're going to be way ahead when you get to your job or whatever. And there's tons and tons and tons of volunteer opportunities. Excuse me, so many organizations that – want help that are a great learning experience so those are the things i would recommend
1: that's some awesome information there kevin i do really appreciate taking your time out today for being here um, Thank is there you anything t- else that, that you'd like to share with us any kind of contact information that you want to give or for your uh for consulting company you can go ahead and <coughs> give that
0: now um well my email address is basically my last name dot my first name at gmail.com so it's a uh, bigelow excuse me b-i-g-e-l-o-w dot kevin k-e-v-i-n at gmail dot com if there's any questions you have or anything i can answer i'd be glad to try to answer them for you and uh... thank you todd so much for having this and and i think this is another good example of um, people opening up to this subject and i'm i'm just really happy about that so thank you very much
1: oh, anytime sir 315
0: and 314 there is at least one person that's been shot somebody
2: is still shooting in sight 453 have a party shot here at rescue are you ready for the unthinkable Call our friends at High Speed TAC Med. They provide custom emergency planning and training that saves lives. With years of experience in law enforcement, search and rescue, responding to and managing large-scale incidents, HSTM will evaluate and prepare written plans, training sessions, drills, and debriefs, leaving you with the necessary tools and experience that can save lives. Call HSTM today to discuss your specific needs, and the staff of High Speed TACMED will help ensure that you're ready and are in complete compliance. Call High Speed TACMED today. 805-419-0024. 805-419-0024. Again, that's 805-419-0024. The friendly staff at HSTM is standing by. Bringing bodies now. Get someone to the back as soon as you can. Rescue personnel. I got at least three to seven hits. Thanks for listening to Episode 2 of EM Weekly. For more information about Kevin Bigelow, please take a look at the show notes or visit us at emweekly.com, podcasts, Episode 2. Be sure to tune in next week for Episode 3. Todd will be talking with Vic from Titan HST on mass communications. Thanks again for listening.